Thanks, uh, Brandon. We're thrilled that you're here. And uh, I was gone. Brandon and I were spent the last couple of weeks in in Uganda, which was super special. And it's great to be back home, though. And it's great to be here with you. And it's great to be here on this Sunday. If you're new or someone invited you, we're gathering. And then we're going to be going out and having a meal, all of us together. And then we're going to have an opportunity uh, to serve. Now, in Uganda, I've been about 45 times since 2001. So I love to go. This was a really special because there's a group of leaders that went with. And we did a pastors and leaders conference for over 600 people representing all of Uganda, people from all over the country. And what I love about being there is that they're not ashamed to be happy that they're there. You know, as a communicator, sometimes you wonder, is anyone alive? Like, you know, something like, my coffee, here I am, you know. But when you're in a gathering in Uganda and Jesus is being talked about, people are just hyped up about it. And so I hope that that falls on you and falls on us all as we grow as a church. Now, some of you students, you weren't here last week. We sent a greeting. But I want you to see uh, your Ugandan brothers and sisters greeted you, but you were in your class. So we'll show it again. We showed it last week. Let's, uh, let's look at the To greeting. your fellow Ugandan. <laughs> so good. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it never ends. The love is there. Okay, so I'm competitive by nature. And so I'm not going to be outflanked by some of my friends in Uganda. So what I'm going to do is here in a minute, we're going to do a video of you out greeting them. That's not very Christian. It's not very Christian <laughs> to out, out greet, but it's practical. Okay. Are you, are you with me? So little, little test run real, real quick. All right. I want you to greet my friends in Uganda. Whoa. Okay. All right. What did you eat this morning? That was like best response ever. Now, all right, so I, I am going to start on this side and make my way over, but <laughs> I just can't wait. All right, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm, all right, I'm on video mood. Uh, all right, my friends are going to greet our Ugandan brothers and sisters. Okay, forget it. Let's just eat. That was so good. <laughs> Man, no, that was so good. I don't even, I don't even know what to do. Now, the, here's, here's the beauty. Sometimes in life, you just sit and you, you listen and then you go home. Uh, other times, the right response is to respond. Like you, someone takes out a video camera and says, greet fr friends that are around the world, and you responded like wild people that you normally aren't. I realize some of you just went a little too crazy. Wait till you see yourself on video. Now, this is one of those days because, you know, you hear about need all the time. And so we live in a world, we live in a city where there is still need. Do you know there are hungry people here? Not just in Uganda. There are hungry people in our part of the world. I know this firsthand. 
experience. When I was in high school, we went through some severe financial turmoil. And as a high schooler growing up in New York City, a city of affluence and influence, we had little to eat. But there were people who stepped in and, and helped us in our time of need. So after we finish the gathering, we get to respond and enjoy a meal together. If you're new, in the summer, on the first Sunday of every month, this today, July, first Sunday of August, first Sunday of September, we, we stop our normal rhythm of come to church. I should come to a room where the church meets. And we usually go home or get a few friends. But today, we're all going to stay. You're invited. We have enough to feed 700 people out there. And we've prepared it for you. If you want to donate towards it, there will be little bowls that you can put in some money. But we value response. A family doesn't just sit together for 10 minutes. They enjoy a meal together. And we are a family. We're not just an institution. And then we get to respond by after we eat to invest in the lives of those who may have a little less right now. And so collectively, while you're eating, we're going to reset this room. I'll give you instructions in the end. By the way, you're not allowed to leave until we're done, 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 done. Because I'm going to give you instructions on how we're going to do this. But while we're eating, we're going to reset the room, and then we're going to put together 50,000 meals today in about an hour. You're going to do that. 50,000. Yeah. So it's just basically you listen and you respond. And so fortunately, it just so happens we're in a long study in Romans, and we've hit a part that when you hear it, it requires a response. So if you have your Bible, go to Romans chapter 10. And students, I, I want you to, this is your first time with us for the summer. Every first Sunday, you're going to hang out with us. And what I'm going to do is when we have a point on the screen, we're going to say it together. And young people, I want you to help lead the way. If mom or dad or aunt or uncle aren't, just give them a nudge. Say, hey, the guy said speak up. And then they'll, they'll follow your leading because you're in charge. All right. Not really, but here we go. Romans 10. And let's read the first few verses together. We, we read it last week, but let's read it again. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, we covered it last week, at least Kenny did, and he did a great job of, of reminding us that there are two paths that we can take, and we'll review that. First statement, there are three statements I want you to write down. Young people, your brain cells are working, so you can just memorize it. Some of us brain cells are just not working anymore, so I have notes. Uh, number one, the first thing is the good news is clear. The good news is clear. Say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. The good news is clear. Kenny covered it last week. You can listen online. There are two ways of pursuing life in God. Now, it doesn't matter what 
what road you go on, any attempt that I would make to get myself to where God is, is a road of pursuing my own righteousness. The Jews had their path, and there are many people today who are looking for God. When I attempt to find my way and I dictate the rules, what I do gets me in the right with God. So if I'm a good person, that gets me in the right with God. If I help people in need, that gets me in the right with God. If I go to church buildings on weekends, if I give to the poor, if I'm kind, whatever it is, if I read these books, if I do these things, all of these human attempts, as good as they are, that's one path that leads to a dead end. It doesn't get us to where we want to be. What Paul has been sharing all throughout Romans is there is the better way. God has shown us how we can live in the right. So there's the path where I say, I'm going to get to God. And then there's the good news. Now the good news is clear. Look at verse 2 again. I can testify about them. They're zealous. They're actually excited about God. But their zeal's not based on knowledge. The good news is clear. God has come in Jesus. The good news of the entire Bible is not that I can find my way to God, is that God has been looking for me and looking for you. And the good news that I hope will be clear to you is that God has done everything to bring you back into the right, and it's not what you think. It's not about being better and good and kind, and all those things are wonderful, but that's not going to make my distorted heart right. It's not going to forgive my previous sins, my current sins, my heart that's rebellious. God wants to do an inside job, and he has done that in the person of Jesus. Now, how do we know this? Look at verse 4. For Christ, or the Messiah, or Jesus, is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The good news is clear. What Jesus has done is the culmination. Now, this word, students, is telos in Greek, and it could be translated multiple ways. uh, Culmination is good. It could be the goal. So Jesus is the goal of the law. It could be the outcome. Jesus is the outcome or the end of the law. Everything God has been doing since the beginning is leading us to Jesus, who is the one who can make anyone and everyone free. If I want to live in the right with God, it is not about me climbing up the ladder. It is about God who has come down to his creation in Jesus to put me to where he wanted me to be from the beginning. See, God loves you and he knows you and he wants to do life with you in everyday moments. But it is my own rebellion that pushes me away. Unfortunately, many of us today, we go down the road of looking for our own way to get right. And we forget the good news of God is clear. And is that God has come in Jesus to bring me back to the way life was intended. So Jesus is the outcome, the goal, the culmination. It's like a race. In the race you have the beginning and the end. And the track is going to take me somewhere. And and the whole Bible is pushing us towards Jesus. So it starts in Genesis with Adam and Eve and the first family and moves and grows towards 
Noah and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and everyone else is not just about people. If you've ever read the Bible, students, and wondered what is that whole beginning about and all the weird names, it's, it's a road map. It's, it's so that by the time you get to Jesus, you see all that God has done and how Jesus completes everything God has done. So if you know Jesus, you know God. If you follow Jesus, you're following God himself. And if you feel broken and out of sync, it's Jesus uniquely who can put you in the right, which is why Jesus himself said, I'll put it on the screen for you, Matthew 5, 17, do not think I've come to abolish or get rid of the law or the prophets. That is the first part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come to get rid of it. No. I have not come to abolish them, but to do what? Fulfill them. Jesus is completing what no one else could complete. Let me give you a tip. When you read the Bible and you read about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the people, none of them get it right fully. None of them. They're all flawed in some sense, some more than others. And so when I read the Bible, I see myself. I don't just see ancient people and ancient names. I see me. And we're supposed to read the Bible, and when we see someone's mistake, say, oh, I didn't, I didn't mess up like that, but boy, I could. All of that is to lead us to the one who never does wrong, who's always in the right, and can fix us at the deepest level, and this is, this is Jesus. So Jesus is the goal of everything that the Bible has to say about life and God. Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know God. Now, we're still in Romans 10. That's just point one. Uh, the good news is what? It's clear. And if you read it the way God gives it to us, that flawed, 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 and then you come to Jesus perfect. Then you're reading the Bible the way it's intended to be read. Now, the second thing I want you to write down, and students, I want to help you get your parents to help say this out loud with me. The good news is near. Say it with me. The good news is what? It's near. Look at verse 5 of Romans 10. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that's by faith says, don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we Proclaim. Now, if this sounds mysterious, it is. And if you're reading this, look, look carefully. You see quotation marks everywhere. Young people, I want you to see this. Sometimes when someone is writing in the Bible, they're actually quoting the Bible. When Paul is thinking about the good news and how clear it is, he wants to remind us today how close how near it is. So here's what he does. He reads back into the Bible and says, oh, this is what God said, and I want you to remember it. So he quotes again and again and again. Here you see him quoting Leviticus 18, your favorite chapter, I'm sure, and Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy is a real word. 
Look it up. It's the fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and what? Deuteronomy. So now this sounds mysterious, but I want to make it as clear as I can. In order for Paul to think about how the good news is good, he just looks at what God said and repeats it in light of Jesus. So what God said to Moses thousands of years before Jesus ever showed up, as Paul's reading his Bible, God spoke through Moses centuries ago. Oh my goodness, what God was telling Moses was actually going to refer to Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Keep your finger on Romans 10. We'll come back to it in a minute. I want you to go all the way to the left in your Bible, five books in, Deuteronomy 30. And I want you to look at it. I normally don't take you that far, but I'm going to read a lot from Deuteronomy 30 to prove a point. If you're saying, okay, I'm confused. The good news is clear. Then why are you confusing me, Jose? Because <laughs> with this Deuteronomy thing, I want you to see what Paul's trying to tell us and what God wants you to know as you think about your own life and where Jesus fits in this whole thing. Deuteronomy 30, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Now, I'm going to read a lot, and you don't have to remember it all, but I want you to see, you're going to pick up where Paul quotes in light of Jesus. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. You there? Great. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations... And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you from all the nations where he scattered you, even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens. From there the Lord your God will gather you and he'll bring you back. He'll bring you back to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He'll make you more prosperous and numerous than all of your ancestors. Pause. I know this is mysterious. But when Paul's thinking about Jesus, he looks back to a time right when God's people were going to gain all of God's blessings. And if you read Deuteronomy 28 and 29, here's what happens. God sets a fork in the road. God had been with them for 40 years. God had provided for all of their needs. God had met them on a mountain and given them the Bible so that they would know who God is and how God works and how to live in God's presence. And 40 years later, he knows they're going to forget. So God says... All right, young people, because he's talking to the young people. Young people, you get a chance to follow God, and it goes two ways. There's either blessing when you know me, walk with me, follow me, listen to me, or your life can be lived without my presence. You know what? The word God uses is cursed, out of joint, messed up, thrown off. And God says to a group of people, like he says to us, the choice is yours. I've put before you today two paths. The path of blessing, if you'll allow me to come in and lead you and guide you. Or 
your life can be without my blessing if you choose to ignore me. And then Deuteronomy 30 is a reminder because God tells Moses in chapter 29, tell the people they're going to rebel. They're going to rebel. They're going to do their own thing. And when they do their own thing, they're going to live without my blessing. And when they live without my blessing, guess what? They're going to be scattered. Life's going to be a mess. But, and hear me, but if they turn back and follow me, Deuteronomy 30, I will take them back. Why am I going on this long journey? Because when Paul is thinking about the good news of Jesus, which is clear, he wants to remind all of us that it's close, it's near. In other words, if you're on the path without God's presence, if you're on the path without God's blessing, all you need to do is listen to God's voice, hear what God says, and get off that path and get on the path that leads to life. Because Paul sees in Rome where he's writing a group of people that sometimes get off God's path. And not that that ever happens today. And you may be here and you're like, you know what, I came to put together some food. I don't, I'm not interested in any of this Jesus talk. I want to remind you that God, thousands of years before Jesus, told a group of people, live with me, walk with me, listen to me, follow me. And that's the best way. Or live without me. And let me just ask you, how is life without God? How is it really? You know, you're like, oh, it's fine. Really? Not when you're with your friends, not when you're hanging out, not when you're high on life. And think, but how is life really when it's you and your own thoughts and you remember where you've been and what you've done and your conscience tells you, I'm out of sync. This is not the way life's supposed to be. God has a word for you. If you come back to God, he'll take you back. And that is exactly what Deuteronomy 30 is all about. Why do I tell you this? Is because when Paul's thinking about the good news, he's reminding the people, if God was faithful thousands of years before Jesus to take a rebellious people back, now in Jesus, how much more will God bring your life back to the way it was supposed to be? So following Jesus is about more than church and it's about more than rules and it's about more than rituals. It's about every day walking and living our life in light of Jesus, listening to him, following his teaching, going his way, receiving his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, and accepting his correction. And when my life is out of sync, coming back to Jesus, saying, Jesus, remake me, fix me, I want to go your way. Now look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30. Let's just keep reading. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and love him with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you to be the most prosperous in all your work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. Verse 10, if, and don't miss that word, if you obey the Lord your God 
and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of the Lord. And turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And again, he's painting the picture. The previous generation rebelled against God, and it did go well for them. But now there's another group that gets another chance. And can I just say to you, what, what Paul's doing is he reads the Bible, he's like, oh gosh, if that's what God did, that's what God does. And if God took rebellious people back, then because of Jesus, certainly God will take anyone back. Anyone who turns to Jesus will be brought back into God's presence and will live the way that God intended. In other words, that can be your story. Verse 11 is key. Underline it. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. The good news is near. This is what Paul quotes. In other words, if you're looking for God, you don't have to climb the highest mountain. If you're looking for God, you don't have to go to some remote path. God has made himself plain to these people and to us. You say, well, he hasn't made himself plain to me. Look at verse 12. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we can obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word, that's the word of God, is very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you can obey it. God has made himself known to everyone in this room so nobody has an excuse. All you have to do is wake up and look outside at a world that you did not create. And if you look at the world around you, you can see chaos and disorder and attacks in London and trouble all around the world and stabbings here at home. And, and all, no, but if you look out on a clear day, you will see the signposts of God's presence. But you know, sometimes we look out in the world and think, well, it all just happened. And I've been to science class and they told me how it happened. They told me how it happened, although no one saw it. They told me that billions of years ago, this happened. And it happened. And that's how it happened. And no one saw it, but everyone buys it. And yet someone says, there's a God who created, and they get mocked. What I want to tell you is that don't, don't put your fist up at God. <laughs> don't. You do not want to take God on. He's the creator. We're the creation. He's the one who loves, and we're the people who rebel. But the good news is not far off. The good news is so near, it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You know what's right, and I know what's right, but something within me says I'm right. And the good news is so near to you, you don't have to live that way. Now, with your finger there in Deuteronomy, I'm just going to jump and throw on the screen Romans 10, verse 6, because he quotes Deuteronomy 30. But the righteousness that's by faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, then in brackets. That is, bring Christ down. What Paul does is he reads what God gave to Moses and says, oh gosh, that's about Jesus. God's made himself real to us. Now he's saying, you don't have to say, God, show yourself to me. Jesus already came down. 
Or who will descend into the deep? And then he puts in parentheses. That is, bring Christ up from the dead. People are looking for signs. Show me that God is real. Prove to me that God is real. And I will give you the proof. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the proof that God is real because he came and did what no one can do. And in the end, he was crucified for our sins. He stood in our place and paid our debt, and he rose from the grave, and he was seen by hundreds, and he ascended to the Father, and he said, I am preparing a place for you. This is the good news, and it's near to everyone here. You've just heard it. So now, you don't have to go to some religious place to find Jesus. Jesus is right here. Jesus is looking for you. It's not that you're looking for God. It's that Jesus is trying to awaken you to who he is, and he's pulling on you, and right now some of you sense his pulling, and you're like, stop it, shut up, give me some barbecue. I'm going to make it plain. It's in four words. Faith in Jesus saves. Faith in Jesus saves. What is it that will rescue me? If I, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I. Those are good attempts at an impossible task. Faith or trust or belief it's the same word. I transfer my trust in what I can do to get right with God, and I put it wholly on Jesus and say, Jesus, you stood in the right. You took my place. You paid my debt, and now I trust you. It's a matter of faith in him. So, so in Deuteronomy 30, 28, 29, 30, there were these two roads. God's blessing, God's favor, God's presence, or no blessing, no favor, and that was called God's curse. It's not like God's putting a spell on you. It's just he's letting you do what you want. My friend, you don't want God to let you go your own way. Because when you go your own way, when I go my own way, we live with regret. But God's got a plan. His good news is clear. His good news is near. And write this down, the third one. The good news is now. Say it with me. The good news is what? Again, like we're in Uganda. The good news is what? The good news. Thank you. Okay. The good news is now. Look, look back. We'll leave Deuteronomy. Go back to Romans 10. Romans 10. And we'll read verse 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For, quote, everyone who calls on the name of of the Lord will be saved. The good news is now. Now, once again, you're going to see all these quotes. He quotes Deuteronomy 30. He quotes from Isaiah, the prophet. And, and he's simply gathering all that the Bible has said, and he cuts and pastes. and says everything God had been saying, he now says fully in Jesus. It's not just for one group of people. By the way, Moses, Deuteronomy 30, was for one small group of people. Now in light of Jesus, it's not for one small group of people. This good news is now, and it's for everyone. Now, everyone who calls the name of the Lord 
will be saved. It's what your heart that you believe and with your mouth that you profess Jesus is Lord. Now I want to make something clear, especially young people. This is not about repeating a phrase. In other words, if I get you to say Jesus is Lord, suddenly you're okay with God. So if you just say this magic prayer, if you just say these magic words, then God is somehow bound now that I say the words and I do whatever I want at the end of life because I said the words, now I get to be in the right with God. Because God said, anyone who says with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, that is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. This is not Monopoly. It's not a game. Jesus is Lord is a shortened phrase of saying, anyone who comes to God and says, I'm not God, and I've fallen short of God and your presence, and I don't deserve to be in the right, but I want to, and I don't deserve to know you, but I want to. Anyone who comes under the leadership of Jesus says, Jesus, what you did, you did for me, and I want it in my own life. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Deuteronomy 30, two paths, blessing, presence, but then there's without God. And right now, you believe it or not, you are already on one of those paths. You're, you're on it now. And now, now I'm not pointing the finger and I'm not judging. Your own heart already condemns or liberates you. Your own heart in God's presence already is letting you know, like, man, you know what? I was, but now I am. I, I've trusted. I've put my faith in Jesus to save. And, and, and I'm not perfect, and I do, I do mess up. But I've given my life over to God's leadership, and I'm trusting Jesus to bring me all the way to the end. Those who are in that camp are on the path of God's blessing, and those who are not are not. And that's not a judgment call. That's just the honest-to-goodness truth. I want to be clear Clear as day, you either are in relationship with Jesus or you are not. But I want you to feel hope. God's good news is near. It's now. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue to push God away or invite Jesus to rescue you? Look at verse 11. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Let me put different words. There's no difference between sincere and insincere. There's no difference between people with a church background and without a church background. There's no difference between good people and not so good people. Everyone's in the same camp. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. The good news is for everyone. So right here, Right now, do I want God's presence in my world? That's the question. Do you want God's presence in your world? Do you want to walk with Him and know Him and grow and live His way? Or do you want to continue to do your own thing, your own way, and stick your fist up at any deity that may be out there and say, there's one life and I get to live it? Can I just say, good luck? Good luck. Can we humble ourselves and say, wow, God, you're bigger and I need you. Now, I want to invite you in a moment to respond and actually take a step to put your trust in this Jesus. But I, I, I got to be clear on a couple things. 
the least likely people usually respond. You just need to know this. You would think that the more you grow in education, the smarter you get. Have you found the opposite to be true? Sometimes the more you know, the more foolish you can become. Why do I say that? Do you know that in the world, most people who start following Jesus do it between the age of 4 and 14? How much do you know at 5? 10. Even 14 compared to what you know now. But most people who respond to Jesus do it between the age of 4 and 14. In other words, young people are open to Jesus and his transforming power. And the older you get, the more stiff your arteries become. That's crazy. You think at 40 you'd be wise enough to know I'm not God. But somehow between 4 and 14, your heart is tender. Why do I say this? If you're past 14, there's still hope for you. Just stop wasting time. Like, no joke. Don't waste time. Young people accept. Older people often reject. So do it now. Second thing you need to know, least likely people usually respond first. Those with less financial means are more open to Jesus than those who have money. It's a fact. Worldwide, where does the message of Jesus really transform people? In periods and places of transition, a.k.a. when there's a war, people turn to God. Why? They realize life, death, beginning, end. I need God. But when there's times of peace, we rely on our bank account. And we forget God. It's a fact. So the least likely people often are the first to respond. Those who don't have money are looking to God for everything. And they find life in Jesus. Those born with money or, or gaining money usually usually push God away. If you don't believe me, I want to throw on the screen the words of Jesus. Then Jesus said to his followers, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who lives in Hillsborough to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle for the someone who works at Intel to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who can, can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. Here's what you need to know. You can have money and follow Jesus. You just need to know it's a lot harder. Because Jesus may say to you, that money's mine. And now that you follow me, I'm going to take my money that's in your hands. And I want to make it more useful than your third house and your fourth boat and your frivolous living. You just need to know Jesus is hardcore, and if you follow him, he will turn your life upside down for the good, and you may end your life with less, but with more. In a sense, I want to unconvince you to follow Jesus. I want you to know that this, his way is hard. It's not easy, because it requires humility and a willingness to accept God as greater and me as lesser. But if you're ready for that, why not now? The good news is clear, it's near, and it's now. So, everyone, if you'd be kind enough, stand on your feet, because we're going to now respond in faith to Jesus. And if you say, Jose, I'm ready, I want to go Jesus' way, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the opportunity right in the here and the now. In a moment, don't go anywhere. In a moment, 
we're going to go and we're going to grab the bread and we're going to grab the cup. Hear me. A lot of you are just visiting your friends. I'm thrilled that you're here. The bread and the cup are for followers of Jesus as the signs, the symbols that Jesus has come and paid my debt in full. So I eat it and drink it to remind myself and the world that Jesus is my leader, he's my Lord, and I'm going his way. So if that's not you yet, you can come up, walk up, so you don't look like you're the only one who's not. But you don't have to eat it, you don't have to drink it. As a matter of fact, I encourage you not to yet. But this is for those who follow Jesus. But everyone's open to walk. In a moment, I'm going to have you walk and pick it up if you're a follower of Jesus or want to be. When you go back to your seat, I'm going to tell you exactly how this is going to happen. Before we eat and drink, I'm going to ask you point blank, if you're ready to follow Jesus or recommit your life to him because you've just drifted off and you're living for yourself, but today you say, I want to come home, I'm going to invite you to do that publicly. And if you've not yet been baptized, after we eat and drink together, I'm going to beg of you to rush over to that tank and say, dunk me now. I'm his. And we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? All right. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you're working in our lives for our good. And so now we turn our attention and our gaze and our focus to you, Jesus. As we go to get the bread and the cup and we sing these songs, we remember our response to you matters. And look at our heart, Lord. Look at my heart, Lord, right now. How am I responding to you? I pray, God, that you'll be pleased with the way my heart is going to you. I need you, Jesus.